0: your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Philippians 1-2. Now if I were preaching a series, I wouldn't skip verse 1 because I got a real, I'm a text guy, you just need to know that. I, I so admire uh, Brother Stephen and Brother Ken, they're kind of macro people when they deal with the text, they get big pictures and, and can do that and I'm just so anal retentive. Can I say that in Sunday morning worship? I'm just so anal retentive that I am just tied up with the way that the writers of Scripture practice their craft under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm very, very committed to the inspiration of Scripture. I don't think they just threw down words just to fill them up. I was thinking about uh, if Brother Aaron was here today, I'd pick on him a little bit. Because he has had the fortune or misfortune, I, you can talk to him later and ask him, uh, of sitting through my New Testament class. And so uh, he, will, he would have recognized parts of this sermon from things that I've done in the, the course that I teach in New Testament. But, but if I were teaching a series here, my first sermon would be Paul and Timothy and I hate to skip over that, there's there's powerful stuff just in every word that God calls these folks that he used to pen the scriptures. There's powerful stuff in all of them. We're going to focus today on three words. Well, actually more than that, but three are going to be the primary folks. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians 1, 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to tell you something. Uh, in, in my New Testament class, when we get to the Pauline letters, we talk about the six constituent parts of a Greco-Roman letter. Did you know there were six parts? And do you know that Paul follows them in every one of his letters except Galatians, and he's kind of irritated in Galatians, so he leaves out the Thanksgiving part. <laughs> oh, boy, he gives it to him bad. But here he's following, and this is, uh, this is uh, actually part three of the Greco-Roman letter, which is the, kind of the wish or the expression of, of greeting. But this is also, for most of us, biblical flyover country. Now, why do I say that? Y'all know what flyover country is, don't you? We live in flyover country. New Mexico is too small to attract the attention of any of the highfalutin, big, powerful politicians because we just don't have that many electoral votes. So they go places where people can bring them lots of return on the election. This is flyover country because we think there's not a lot of meat here. But I want you to know that Paul's got something in mind, and he is saying something here that we need to hear. Grace and peace. Grace and peace form what's called, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help a little bit. as you're taking notes, I'll spell it for you if you need me to. This is an inclusio. I like that. Doesn't it sound official? Yeah, you know, it it just impresses folks all to death. This is an inclusio. Grace and peace, where we start in our relationship with God and where we end in our relationship with God. Now, there's a process between, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I'm going to have to move a little faster than my southern tongue is accustomed to. So, if I get it tangled up in my teeth, I may have to have Corey come up here and kind of uh, yank it out and so I can keep on going but let's let's go with this a little bit now we think we think we know what grace and peace mean. I'm here to tell you that I didn't until I got to really looking at it a little bit <clears throat> if you're like me and probably Brother Ken down there when we were in seminary. And, uh, you know, we talked about grace. Somebody said it is the undeserved merit, the unmerited favor of God. Eh, That's not bad as far as it goes. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace, for by grace you have been saved. I want you to know that grace is more than just a warm puppy dog feeling that God has toward humankind. He's not... Some of y'all have met my little granddaughter. She's around here sometimes. Little Nora, she's three years old, and she's my only granddaughter, and she's the apple of my eye. And, And I told Kelly... When she was born, because she was in NICU for about five or six weeks, she was a preemie. I said, you know, it's a good thing I raised three boys and not girls, because I walked into that little NICU area and and as soon as I saw her and she didn't even know I was there, she crooked her finger and pop was hooked. I would do anything for her. I give her anything. I let her play with anything that's mine. I don't worry about it. She breaks it. I don't even care because I have warm feelings for that little girl. Well, I think God thinks about us as that way, but there's more to it than that. Grace is the power of God that is active in our salvation. It is the power of God by which he changes us from sinners to saints. There's a process there. Oh, by the way, if you didn't know, you are a saint. Aren't you glad? I'm waiting for my stained glass uh, picture in some cathedral somewhere. I don't really look for that to happen anytime soon. But, but for Paul, everybody who has experienced God in Christ and is, is uh, moving along in that new relationship is set apart. They're a saint. That's what saint means. Holy, set apart for a particular purpose. So in grace, God begins a process of transforming us from what we are because of our own choice to put ourselves on the throne of our lives to what can bring life only on his terms. We're talking uh, this morning, uh, Brother Danny and John uh, 1, 3 through 5 about life about God's intention in creation was this, this quality of life that can be found only in relationship with him. That's what grace is. You need to know, uh, we, we used to, you know, I, I grew up in the South. Can, can you tell a little bit? We grew up with those Bible-thumping, you know, fire-spouting evangelists preached heaven high and hell hot, an angry God that was just waiting to plop people into the middle of hell. I want you to know if you wind up in hell, it'll be in spite of everything that God has done to keep you out of that, except overrule your free will. God created us for fellowship. And that beautiful picture in Genesis 1 through 3, Where at the very end of his creative process, he surveys everything that he has done and he says, Behold, it was very good. Good's just not qualitative or comparative. Good means that it contained everything that was necessary for us to experience life as God intended it to be experienced. And that includes, oh, by the way, fellowship with Him. And when we neglect fellowship with Him, everything else, can I say, goes to hell? It does. That's exactly what happens So grace is that place where God creates a new opportunity that we have the opportunity to avail ourselves of. We can do it or not do it. It's our choice. But God has done everything that he can do from his end except for the one thing that he will not do. Notice what I said, right, Brother Ken? He could do it. He's God. He's sovereign. He has chosen not to do it because he's created us with a right to make self-determining choices. Lori was asking me, she teaches sixth grade over at Hope Christian School, and she said, you know, one of my my students asked me, well, how come the tree's in the garden? Well, tree's in the garden because if the only choice you have is one choice, you don't have any choice, Right? Was it Henry Ford? Said, sure, you can get a Model T in any color you want as long as it's black. God has created us to serve Him, to fellowship with Him, to discover life in Him. When we rejected that, that's the picture of Eve saying, when she saw the fruit and it looked delicious. Tasted pretty good. And it was desired because it made me wise. She rejected God's command in favor of her own. We all do that. We all follow down that same track. But God gives us another opportunity. We heard we've heard Stephen talk about salvation the last few weeks in here, or at least those of us who are here have heard it. If you hadn't heard it, you missed something. Salvation is God's offer of right relationship with him again. Now, that takes particular track in Paul's understanding of what theology or what salvation is about. So let's talk about that. You start with grace. If we open our lives to God's grace, if we allow God to flood us with that power that reshapes us from sinner to saint... It takes a particular track. I used to call this uh I forget what I called it. I was thinking now about the metrics of salvation in Paul. Doesn't that sound nice? Metrics of salvation. That sounds really businesslike. But basically, what that has to do with is how do you know you're making progress? So I wanna I wanna give you some things to think about. You might not agree with me, and that's okay. Uh, If you're going to disagree with me and confront me about it, be ready to defend your ideas. I'm okay with that. I'll discuss it with you. But the first thing after we encounter God's grace and we open our lives to it is a change in status in our lives. We We exist before grace with ourselves on the throne of our lives. After grace... We come into a new state of being called in Christ. I challenge you this week, it doesn't really take long. Paul, there's 13 letters in there from Paul. Read through them and see how many times you see that little two word phrase or something like it in Christ. That's big stuff for Paul, huge stuff. Because until we're in Christ, We don't know what life is about. We've not experienced grace. God is not active in our lives. But once grace becomes active and begins its work in our lives, the first thing we experience is a change of status called being or existence in Christ. Under His authority, in right relationship to the Father, in right relationship as a consequence of our relationship to the Father with each other. You want to know? You know, Baptists. We, we, I keep doing this. I'm going to fix this thing off before it's over. That's okay. I got a big voice. My wife always tells me, "Use your inside voice." I don't have one of those. We need to understand that in spite of all the jokes we make about Baptists being the only church group that multiplies by dividing, (laughs) that that is a slap in the face to what we claim is the difference that God makes in our lives under grace. Being in Christ, if we're following the example of Jesus, whom we call God's anointed, to be a, an example to us, we learn how to get along. But we'll get to that in a minute. But being in Christ is the first step in the life under grace. I've struggled with what I call the, the next step. I started calling it wisdom of the cross, and I still think that's a pretty good A pretty good way to to describe it but let me tell you something when we are in Christ we learn to interpret our reality from a totally different perspective when we're outside of grace everything refers to me when we learn to follow the example of Jesus our Christ we learn to put other people ahead of ourselves we learn to put god absolutely first you know when jesus is kneeling in the garden he knows he knows what's about to happen to him he was not the first victim to be crucified crucifixion could take three sometimes four days of intense agony before its victims finally gave up the ghost, as they say. When Jesus kneeled in the garden, and he said, -hmm, making me a little bit uncomfortable here. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. That's the wisdom of the cross. When Paul says to fellow believers in the letters that he writes, don't esteem yourself more highly than you ought to, but put others ahead of yourself. That's the wisdom of the cross. It's a wisdom that seeks to serve rather than be served. When when Jesus is talking to the disciples in Mark he says for even the son of man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many that's a very very different way of looking at life from what we see in our culture isn't it but that's that's a step that that need to reexamine how life really works is an essential step in our maturity as believers from grace to sanctification. The next one is agape, and I, you know, you got use those Greek words, you know. I got a problem translating agape by the English word love. We're the goofiest people in the world. Is that is that news to anybody? We love everything. I want you to know I love me some pork loin barbecue. Toby Keith singing about loving his truck and loving his bar and loving this and loving that. We won't even get into Led Zeppelin. And yes, yes, I was a huge Led Zeppelin fan. The word agape is one of four in the Greek that translates by the English word love. And in fact, in the first century A.D., when the New Testament was written, it had largely fallen into disuse. So it makes you kind of wonder a little bit, how come they picked up this arcane word to describe God's relationship to his people because they didn't want it misunderstood, like our word love. So we talk about well, we ought to love one another. That means we gotta have warm, friendly feelings for, you know, there's I, I hate to tell you there's some people who just don't like me. And probably with good reason sometimes. I can be a little abrupt. I know that that surprises you. You see this calm, you know, type Z personality. No. I'm a very type A person. And I, you know, I get in there. I'm very goal-focused. And sometimes I just roll right over people. Well, that's not a very good thing to be. But if we love the way God loved. Here, we're going to go back to John. We're going to go 3.16. For God so loved, same word, agape, that he gave. God did for us what we couldn't do for himself at great cost to himself. We're not loving just because we have warm, fuzzy feelings for one another. We're not loving because of this or that or the other thing. We love when we sacrificially do for others what needs to be done, even at cost to ourselves. That's the model of agape Amen. in the New Testament. In John's Gospel, Jesus tells His disciples as the Father has agape me, so I have agape you. But he didn't stop there. He goes on to say, and as I have agape you, now you are responsible to pay it forward, to agape one another. Let me ask you something. In the, in a number of different applications if we really practiced agape how often would churches split if we really practiced agape where would child abuse and elder abuse and all of that kind of stuff be if we really practiced agape what would happen to the divorce rate inside the church? Now, I don't get myself in trouble. I stay up here too long. That's why Stephen doesn't let me do this very often. But but you need to hear that in, in Paul's understanding of the effect that salvation... God's process of transformation that comes through grace. This is one of the metrics. See how many times. Anybody got a Strong's Concordance? That's the one we used to use. You got a Strong's Concordance. You look up love and see how many times it appears in Paul's writings. Again, you can disagree with me. That's fine with me. But you're going to have to explain to me why that's such an important piece of his theology of salvation. It is critical. So we come to be in Christ. Then we learn to look at our world through a different set of lenses. The lenses of Jesus are Christ. Then we learn to practice this sacrificial self-determination to do for others what God wants us to do for them, even if it costs us. And you know where that leads? Unity. So we've got now number four, being in Christ, wisdom of the cross, Agape and unity. We're not done yet. We're still not to the outside parenthesis yet. But think about unity. Unity at every level. I don't want to think about unity because I'm guilty of disunity, aren't you? How many times have I allowed a bad day to fester into an argument with my wife. Now, she'll tell you a difference. You know, I'm the perfect husband. Just don't, don't ask her. She's in the nursery, and that's by design today. <laughs> How many times have we come in mad at the boss and kicked the dog, growled at the kids? I've got a 90-year-old mother. I have spent the better part of the week getting her in and out of the hospital. Uh, she's going to have to have gallbladder surgery. This one thing and another. I had other plans for my Saturday besides sitting in there getting her discharged and then sitting at Walgreens trying to get her prescription. It took me all day. I didn't get a thing done. Oh, my type A personality. When there's deviations from my plan, <laughs> That just doesn't go over well with me. But you know, I love my ma. Does "mom" translate to anybody here? Mom, I love my Ma. And I'm not going to have her long. 90 years old Monday, she turned 90. And you can see her starting to wind down. I can talk to her. That guy, like I can't talk to anybody else. Unity means that we're coming together in the direction of the character of God. Amen. Now think about this. Think about a a bicycle rim. No matter where you are. On the rim if you move down the spokes you're moving in the same direction is that true or false eventually if we're moving down the spokes of the rim of a bicycle we're going to wind up at the center and the center is God I got news for everybody here except me of course none of y'all are perfect What's the old saying? There's nothing anything, nothing any more obnoxious than people who think they're perfect. And especially to those of us who really are. <laughs> nah, again, y'all, y'all can talk to my wife. There are apocryphal stories about my imperfections. And we need to give each other room to be imperfect. Without resorting to fisticuffs, either literal or metaphorical. And if we as Baptists are going to claim to be a people of God, we need to be moving from the rim where we started in the direction of the character of God in our lives who loves, who agapes who practices in the Old Testament. You heard, I'm I'm only going to use this because Stephen did, chesed in the Old Testament. Did I spit on y'all? Covenant faithfulness. I think that's the word behind agape in the New Testament. I think that's what Paul had in mind when he was saying to his people, "You, you people need to love one another. Jesus said it. God practiced it. And if we do that, we're moving from the outer rim toward the hub, and that's God. That's the character of God reproduced in our lives. Boy, that's, that's saying something. we got our work cut out for us, don't we? I want you to know that salvation is not just whatever we want it to be. Salvation is God's intention for the very apex of his creation. What he intended for us to be. And you know where we see that fulfilled? In Jesus the Christ. So unity. Next time you get out of sorts with a brother, sister, or a wife, or a son, or a daughter or a cousin, or an aunt. Remember, unity is the fourth product that salvation ought to bring to us through the working of God's grace in our lives. The last one, peace. Peace was an important, this is another one of those words where we think we know what it means because we've talked about peace. I talk in class about, you know, when, when we talk about peace, we talk about a new peace accord that's been reached in the Middle East. And what we really mean is one group of idiots has stopped shooting at the other group of idiots who has in turn stopped shooting at them. And we call that peace. Peace. You know the, the the underlying hatred that caused the bullets to fly in the first place has never been addressed, but we're happy with a lack of strife, the absence of strife, even if it's only for a short time, because it will be. Let me tell you something. That's not what peace is in Paul's mind. Now, peace. Paul's writing in Greek. You know, the New Testament's in Koine Greek. Anybody named Irene here? That's kind of an old name. Any? Any Irenes? This is a word here. Irene. But in Paul's gray matter, he's thinking shalom. How many of y'all heard that word, shalom? Yeah. And we translate it peace. And like agape, that's probably a wholly inadequate translation. Shalom for Paul is the wholeness of life that God intended for each of us to experience when He created us. Wholeness of life. Let me tell you another little secret about shalom. You don't get there by yourself. Shalom is a... It it does yield personal benefits, but it is first... And foremost, a community of benefit to those who are submitted to the power of God's grace at work in their lives, transforming them from sinner to saint. How many of y'all want wholeness of life? I do. I don't mind saying that. I want it. Have I gotten there yet? No, I hadn't. I'm somewhere on that track that we've been talking about. But you know what the only inhibition is? For me to realize the shalom of God. Me. Me. Paul calls it the peace that passes understanding. I was in the shower this morning. I sing in the shower sometimes, do you? My neighbors probably hate that. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Where? Down in my. Sing along, kids. Down in my heart. I got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Do you hear what Paul says? It's a wholeness of life that, that goes beyond anything we can understand. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that make you want to just say, God, pour it on me! And his response is, I'm trying to get out of the way! Peace is fragile. That's why it's... It's the last thing. It's the very end, the closing of the inclusio of salvation. God wants it for us. He created us to experience it. And we just keep stepping all over ourselves, getting in His way, and inhibiting the reception of that wonderful blessing. You know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? No, that he's got one. (laughs) Danny got me a little started a little early today, so I'm going to get us out a little bit early. But let me say this to you, because this is a kind of a dual pronged sermon. Christian, God's got great things for us. His grace is marvelous. We, we used to sing that song, Marvelous Grace, Wonderful Grace. It's marvelous. It does things that we don't even understand, it shapes us in a way that we never thought there was any benefit to until we get to the end and we look back and we see the marvelous, beautiful creature that God has made of us. And in that process, we learn to look at our world differently. In that process, we learn to sacrifice for the benefit of others. In that process, we learn to come together in the unity that God's character recreated in us makes possible. And then finally, we experience the wholeness of life that comes through right relationship with God that spills over into right relationship with one another. Can I say that if we make significant progress in this direction as First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque, people will flock to that like moths to a light. They will see something that is so qualitatively different in this fellowship, not just in the lives of this member or that member, but in the community life of a fellowship of faith that is undeniable and whose origin is God. Members of First Church West Albuquerque. What's our excuse? If you're here today and you've never taken that first step, you've never opened your life to the grace of God that wants to make you what only He can, no time like the present. We got lots of folks here. Be happy to share with you about how to get on that track. We used to sing that old song. This train is bound for glory. This train. This train is bound for glory. This train. This train is bound for glory. If you want to get to heaven, then you got to be holy. This train is bound for glory. This train. Do you want to be bound for glory? God wants you to be. He invites you to be. Open your life to the life-changing, life-shaping grace of God that will carry you through to the point where you finally experience peace wholeness of life. song I used to sing and Danny, you probably know this one. There is peace in the time of trouble. There is peace in the midst of the storm. There is peace though the world be raging in the shelter of His arms. Christian, are you showing that peace to the people around you? Is grace evident in your life? God at work reshaping. I'm not saying are you perfect. None of us are. But are you making some progress? Are some of these things evident in your life? Listen to the benediction of the high priest. And Danny's used this one. A number of times. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you, say it together with me, peace. Peace. Do you want it? God wants you to have it. Won't you respond to that loving invitation and open your life to what only God can do in it? Let's pray together.